Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey everyone, wanted to hop on real quick before we get into today's episode and wanted to let you know that the next seven day Master Your Fasting Challenge starts November 1st. That is right, right after Halloween, we get going with our next Master Your Fasting Challenge. If you wanna lose weight before the holiday season ramps up while enjoying food guilt-free, if you wanna get the scale moving and master your habits before the end of the year, so you can start 2024 with more momentum than ever before. Or if you're new to fasting or you just need to get back on track or break that plateau that you've been experiencing with your fasting lifestyle, then leverage the impending holiday season that is upon us and join us on the next Master Your Fasting Challenge. It comes up November 1st. We're gonna go live seven days inside of our private group. We're gonna teach you everything you need to know to level up your skills so you can have absolute control through this holiday season and create the fasting lifestyle that you've been looking for. So it's not just about the scale, it's about creating a life that you feel good and confident in your skin day in and day out. And our favorite time of year is to over deliver during the holiday season. So come join us, click the link in the show notes for more details, dates, and information, and we'll see you on the inside. Now to today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Today is going to be a fun conversation. We're going to talk fasting. We're going to talk fat loss. We're going to talk fat. We're going to talk how many more F words can I put in here? We're going to put them all together. We're going to talk exercise. It's really fit. It's going to, we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to land the plane with some actionable things that you can do to continue to put fasting into your day-to-day life and adopt fasting as a lifestyle. So if you are new to the podcast, welcome in. Thank you for giving us a shot. If you want to hear more about why we do this each and every week. You can head back and listen to our story in episode one, give you a little bit of perspective on Tommy's journey with fasting, my journey with fasting. And we're going to talk about visceral adiposity and visceral fat today, which is still part of my journey, but getting better and better as we go. If you are a long-term listener, we want to welcome you in as well. And we are so grateful for each and every listen, each and every download. The five-star reviews. Yes, somebody said, I'm not giving you a five-star review because you asked for it. (laughs) Well, we asked for the reviews, of course. That tells the podcast gods and goddesses and the people in charge that run this vast podcast world that we are delivering value each and every week. And we just had a huge milestone, Tommy, that I just remembered in real time that since, because we batch out our podcast, right? Well, Mm -hmm. we passed 3 million downloads and don't worry, this won't be a self-aggrandizing moment, but 3 million downloads, Tommy, just from you and I struggling for decades with our health and our weight. Right. And here we are, 3 million people have listened 
And our goal and our impact and our mission is to continue to see those numbers climb, because if those numbers continue to climb, then we are making an impact and teaching and helping others to do the same, to reverse insulin resistance, to prevent diabetes, to decrease heart disease, et cetera, all of those things. So we are incredibly grateful for each and every one of you, new or old or anywhere in between. Welcome into the Fasting for Life podcast, Tommy. Just incredible. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Thank you guys so much. Just never thought we'd be here a couple hundred episodes, you know, later and three million downloads later. So it's so cool. And and still I, somehow I, stuff to talk about. I know, right? Yeah. I, I mean, the battle continues, right? With obesity and the, the waistlines and the food supply and, you know, all of these things that matter. And so giving the perspective that we wish we would have understood decades ago so that we could have, uh, you know, gotten there, gotten there faster and uh, with less struggle and less frustration and things like that. So absolutely love this. And uh, thank you again to everybody listening. All right, let's dive into today's episode. So we're going to talk about visceral adiposity. So I'm going to do big picture here in just a second. Then we're going to dive into Mm -hmm. a couple of interesting articles, some factors that are associated with the percent change in visceral versus subcutaneous fat during weight loss from a systemic review. Then we've got another article that we really found interesting, another systemic review and meta-analysis on the effects of exercise training versus a low calorie diet, aka if you fast, you're going to be putting yourself into a lower calorie consumption. If you do Mm -hmm. time restricted eating, time restricted feeding, however you want to look at it. We have an article we're going to reference on that as well. We're going to look at the distinct effects on body weight and visceral adipose tissue on with those relationships to exercise. And then we're going to bring back a throwback to we've talked about visceral adiposity multiple times on the podcast in terms of a couple of previous episodes, episode 38, we're going to look at very low carb versus low fat diets and its effect. We're going to mention that again, that episode's episode 38, where we just dive deep into that. We're going to talk big picture about visceral adiposity on episode 128. And then we're going to mention the episode 155, where we talked about time-restricted eating with or without low carb. Mm -hmm. Because big picture here, Tommy, is if you go out, and then we'll get into the definitions and kind of unpack it, but the articles we're going to look at today are going to be those focused on the exercise component, the low calorie component, the overall effect. We're going to talk about stress and the HPA axis and how that can drive insulin resistance and visceral adiposity, um, and then kind of have some of those old touch points just to paint a full picture of it as we move forward. Mm. But the difficult difficulty in this is there's so many conflicting moving factors, right? So you can get articles that say one thing versus another, and then you're sitting there at home going, okay, well, what do I do? What is the actual Mm. doing that I need to do now that gets me a result? that I know that I'm on the right path to health and weight loss and longevity and not Mm. the path to diabetes, insulin resistance, disease, cardiometabolic issues, and ultimately higher mortality risk in the later decades of life. Yeah. And well, step one, what do we need to do? Step one would be to understand how important visceral adiposity is because that's something I certainly didn't have on my radar whenever I was, no. you know, going back and forth, low and slow diet, you know, diet yo-yos and, and things like that. I mean, I was looking at Could the never scale. get rid of the belly. Right. And, you know, and in fact, the visceral adiposity and the belly fat actually was continuing to accumulate as it oftentimes does, even through these weight loss and weight gain fluctuation cycles. 
if you do imaging or you know do like a like a DEXA scan or or something else where you actually know what your visceral adiposity is, you might see that over time. And so like understanding the fact that it's so highly correlated with cardiovascular risk events and and metabolic risk and and just decreasing health span over time and and everything that's that's so important there. It's not necessarily the number on the scale that matters so much, but how much actual fat we have around our internal organs. So if we can move the needle on that and understand what the factors are, then we've taken a big step forward so that we can be aimed in the right direction, regardless of what the scale says and a host of other factors that we typically go to for making a determination if we're like headed in the right direction. Like, is this diet working for me? Yes or no might just be based on the scale. Yeah. And when we do our challenges too, we get a ton of very tactical questions. Mm -hmm. But what about this? How much protein should I work out? What's the best fasting schedule? What about my hormone? Like all of mm. these different things. And the reality is, is that there are some big levers that we should be pulling regardless of all of those sub questions or subcategories of questions yeah. that we get. Yeah. Universal so, levers. Universal levers. So I heard Peter Atia was on a, Dr. Peter Atia was on a podcast recently mm. and I heard him mention, he's like, if you've got 20 or 30 pounds to lose, I don't even want you asking me about supplements. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great And I was point. like, okay. And it was a cool, con I can't remember whose, whose podcast he was on because he's, he's blown up recently, but I was like, oh, interesting, right? Because the effect of those is not going to be a needle mover nearly as much as his five pillars, right? And one of his pillars is exercise. So mm. we're going to start there with the conversation today is exercise. Well, wh what do you do? What do you, what's the point? And with exercise, we want to be focusing on this, this visceral adiposity. This is, we know that this is a driving factor of metabolic dysfunction, of disease, of blood sugar issues, cardiometabolic issues. And then if you go from the insulin connection to eight out of the top 10 highest mortality risks that we have here in the States in terms of why people lose their life, you know, we've done an episode solely just on that, you know, getting insulin under control, getting our blood sugar under control and getting the weight off, specifically the visceral fat. Mm -hmm. is what we're going to be talking about. And this is so near and dear to my heart because this is what I'm working on currently. When people say, what's your goal? Like, what's your weight loss goal? What's your forever number? We teach this in our challenges. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. I, I don't really have a forever number. I have a visceral fat number. Yeah. I have a triglyceride to HDL ratio number. I have an APOB number. I have a fasting insulin number. It's not so much, oh, what's my BMI? What's the scale say, right? So this visceral yeah. fat is the fat that lives. There's two main types, visceral and subcutaneous, right? So mm -hmm. visceral is stored, like you said, in between your abdominal cavity, can build up in arteries. It's located near several vital organs, liver, stomach, and intestines. And subcutaneous fat is the fat stored just beneath the skin. It can be pinched with your fingers, right? Considered much, 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 much less harmful. So we talk about visceral adiposity or visceral adiposity index, and there's a cool calculator. You can go and click the link in the show notes. And it's going to be based on your waist circumference, your body mass index, your triglycerides, and your HDL cholesterol levels, right? And this is going yeah. to indirectly express your visceral adipose function, dysfunction, and insulin sensitivity slash resistance. Because you can't go to find out your visceral fat. You can't go, uh, Dr. Sean O'Mara, he does these on his Instagram where he'll show before and afters of MRIs, right? But you get an MRI scan done, it's not typically looking for visceral fat, it's looking for tumors and fractures and discs and all this other stuff. Sure. Yeah. So there is even no application of the tests, the proper application of the results from the test that we can get. So if you do go get a DEXA scan, great, now you have it. But how do we know where we're at on this scale? Well, this equation, this is a much better, because when we did the episode back in the day, episode 128, we actually gave you the long form equation. And now there's this fun calculator that can do it for you. So 
we're going to be focusing on that number. You can put in your numbers and then it gives you the chart on kind of where you're at. Ultimately, this is something you can measure as you start to implement some of the things we're going to talk about when we start to talk about exercise, stress and food and how it affects your visceral adiposity. Yeah. And, and just understanding that we want to be focused on this because if it's disproportionately more important than just the number on the scale or even like any given metric that, that we normally hear, you know, talked about. So if we can understand that there are multiple factors that kind of lead into it and just the fact that as it comes down, it has a preferential reduction in risk for so many of these important factors. And so the exercise matters, the fasting yes. matters, the yes. food choices matter, yes. the, the stress response and, and other lifestyle components that we may or may not be able to control on a day-to-day -day basis, they're going to matter. We'll, we'll talk more about that too, but these all kind of factor in. But without a conversation like this that I haven't heard before, and I, I certainly didn't hear 10 or 15 years ago, it can be tough to like to have the right focus whenever I'm like in a fat loss phase. Because just looking at the BMI charts or just doing like a, like a skin caliper for body fat percentage test, even that, you know, you're, you're looking at subcutaneous fat at that point. And so maybe my subcutaneous fat is decreasing. Maybe I'm able oh. to, you know, see a little more muscle definition than I'm working for or something like that, but I might not be moving the needle on my visceral fat. In fact, it might be. It might be getting Could worse be while, yeah. Yeah, while, while other things are, are getting better. And so, you know, just understanding where we should be focused is, is really important. And so at the bottom of this calculator, it even says, so we talked about, you know, waist circumference, body mass index, triglycerides, HDL. These are all, you know, if you get into the APO, I'm having some some blood work done and I'm going to mm -hmm. be doing a 30 day kind of challenge to myself and changing some, some parameters. And I'll share that in the future after I get cool. my my post numbers done, but because I really want to be moving the needle with visceral adiposity, because yeah. to your point, back in the day, my, you know, when I would do the macros and the calorie counting and the eat less, move more in the CrossFit workouts, my stomach never really changed. I would lean out uh, a little bit, but I yeah. always had, and I still have a few remaining pounds of visceral fat. It's as, as I'm chunking down, you know, slowly chunking down the BMI category, I would always have the belly, right? And my dad, yeah. who's reversed his diabetes and lost you know, 60, 65, 70 pounds, whatever it is, come off all the 14 medications, he still has the belly. Well, that belly's mm. been there a long time. That was <laughs> yeah. from back when he was in the Navy, he had the belly, mm. right? So my point of bringing those up is because at the bottom of this chart where it, of this calculator, it actually says ways to lower visceral adiposity, a poor diet with high intake of carbs and sugars, an inactive sure. lifestyle, stress mm. related to the fight or flight response or cortisol. So these are all the articles we're gonna go through here in just a minute and high fructose corn syrup or fructose in general. So when we're looking at visceral adiposity, you know, that accumulation induces metabolic derangement. So you have mm -hmm. increased free fatty acids, pro-inflammatory cytokines, ultimately insulin resistance and poor blood sugar control. Yeah. Right. So this is why we'll talk about having real-time data in just a minute is so important and having this equation and then moving these needles that we're going to go into now can really get you some, some really incredible results. And there's some really cool stuff in regards to putting the scale in its place and talking about stress and talking about exercise because everybody wants to know what's the best way to do it, right? What's the latest and greatest? What's the fastest way? Well, when we look at the systemic review and meta-analysis on the effects of exercise training versus hypocaloric diet. So we're going to look at exercise versus decreasing your caloric intake and look at those distinct effects on body weight and visceral adipose tissue. And there's a couple of cool takeaways, Tommy. Yeah. Well, we're actually looking at the takeaways from these studies. We want to be focused on a couple of things. One would be how did the actual groups 
compare with what were they doing? And then how can we make some real life application assumptions? And so like if we're talking about food intake, let's say, then are we looking at just calories or are we looking at the types of carbohydrates? When we're looking at exercise, right. there's multiple different kinds of exercise. So there were a few of them that the comparisons were a little bit like some more mixed bags, right? Where we had we had groups that were kind of a, a like a mixed group. Yeah. And it's, you know, since there's systemic reviews and their meta-analysis, like gold standard, like this is the stuff we want to look at. It's an aggregation of data, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at the effects of hypochloric diet versus exercise training, the exercise that's included is running or swimming or walking or therapy or motion therapy or sports, athletic performance or bike or physical exertion or running or bicycling or training. Or So there's a whole host of real life applications here. But the reality is, is that when you look at it, they confirmed the VAT through radiographic imaging. And they went through all these databases and they found that both exercise and diet cause VAT loss. Great. Cool. When comparing diet versus training, Diet caused a larger weight loss. Okay, cool. Eat less. Great. You're going to lose some weight. Right. In contrast, a trend was observed towards a larger VAT decrease in exercise. So changes in weight and VAT showed a strong correlation after diet and a modest correlation after exercise. But here's the thing. So when you look at the actual, like in the absence of weight loss, exercise is related to a 6.1% decrease in VAT. Mm-hmm while diet showed virtually no change. And that is where the scale would not be moving. So if weight was coming down, then we would see a decrease in visceral adiposity. So that's a good thing. But we don't have to be losing weight in order to be moving the needle on visceral adiposity. And that's the part that I really like because you could be at a healthy weight. You could even be at your forever weight. Like, like, hey, this feels like I'm at a maintenance phase, right? But then when I look in the mirror or I kind of grab my midsection, like this doesn't feel like I want to maintain this. It it feels like there's still some improvement that I could be making. Or maybe the blood work's still off a bit. And you're just like, well, why? I'm at a good weight, right? Like, so I, I can't really lose any more weight. But just the fact that, okay, we, we get asked this question all the time, like, what about exercise? Or it seems like if you're fasting, either you don't need to exercise or that we're yeah. not advocates for exercise. There's because no magic <laughs> Yeah. But, but just the fact that even if I'm at a healthy weight or a quote unquote maintenance weight or what I thought was going to be my maintenance weight, adding in exercise means I can move that visceral adiposity needle. And so the reasons for that might be related to insulin resensitization, mitochondrial boost in activity that come about with consistent exercise. But, you know, either way, I have more levers than just my fasting and just what's on my plate or being scared of food, which is which can be a real problem, especially after you've you've used fasting to actually or dieting. Yeah. Yeah. Just the old dieting paradigm. Right. So. So a couple more numbers to round out this conversation and then a couple of takeaways for this study when it comes to exercise, right? So the World Health Organization and the ACSM guidelines recommend a minimum of 5% loss of body weight. And in clinical practice, it's usually a combination of training and a decrease in calories, right? We're not even talking about all the additional benefits, which we'll mention here in a few minutes that we went over on episode 38, when we talk about you know very low carb versus low fat diets. We're not even going to talk about the how to reduce your calories. We're just talking about a caloric, a hypocaloric diet. There's a big discrepancy here where I don't think that, and they mentioned this in the article, the Obesity Reviews article, that a 5% reduction should be across the board. And here's why. So 
A 5% loss in body weight is associated with 21.3% reduction in VAT after exercise training, but only, only 13.4% with caloric restriction. Mm, wow. That's a 50% improvement when you add exercise into the equation right there. Right. So and you wouldn't, just you wouldn't know that just by looking at the scale. Right. And here's the thing. What exercise? Well, what do you like to do? Now we can get into the whole heart rate, zone training, HIIT, all that stuff, right? But sure. big picture. Start splitting hairs. <laughs> right. In the absence of weight loss after exercise training, you get a 6.1% reduction in VAT. So we got to move. Yeah. So this review and meta-analysis showed clear evidence that exercise training, despite smaller effects on reducing body weight, tends to have superior effects on reducing visceral adipose tissue and getting that metabolically active, destructive fat off of our skeletons. Yeah. Wow. So like anything with muscle attached to it, like we, we got to get some limbs moving, even if we have, you know, reduced mobility or an injury, you know, like something needs to move here, then we, we get to activate muscle cells and mitochondria all around that then reduce the insulin resistance and increase insulin sensitivity. And you have just this preferential effect. It's, you know, I, I almost feel like there's a group of folks that have like eaten less and moved more for so long that it, it's kind of like, I don't need the exercise, you know, like, like almost like frustrated with it, like did high, high well, intensity here, exercise well, for so long. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why, because we try to move a very small lever, which is exercise for weight loss. Doing exercise to lose weight is not the application of exercise that we want to yeah. have, but that's what diet culture tells us. Mm. So you get frustrated. You used to do it. You used yep. to stay up later, putting more stress on your APA, HPA axis, which we'll talk about later, yep. just so you could burn some more calories. But that's such a small percent of our total daily caloric burn, five, six, seven percent maybe. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing more metabolic improvement and change with exercise than we are in the scale. And if anyone has ever started a new diet or a 21-day fix or started fasting and the scale starts going up because you're also adding in exercise, you're still making change. It's important. We don't exercise for the scale. We yeah. exercise for long-term health metrics. That's why when my wife's like, oh yeah, you're doing the Peloton challenge. Great. She's like, you don't really seem excited that you have to do these. I was like, no, exercise to me is not self-care. Okay. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I love it. No, exercise to me is something that I do because I want to be around longer for you and the kids. Like yeah. <laughs> it's part of my long-term health strategy. It's not like yeah. when I talk about self-care, like I'm sitting watching football all day. I'm out on the golf course. That's my self-care. Not going to have to sit on the freaking Peloton, okay? Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night. Uh, since he was born, we have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. 
And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com, use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the Fasting for Life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. Yeah, brushing your teeth is also not self care. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's self care, no. but it's yes. not like it's not like I'm meditating or it's it's not yeah. it's not no. cathartic, right? Not going to the float spa, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So the second thing here we want to talk about is so get moving. The second thing is factors from this study factors associated with percent change in visceral versus subcutaneous abdominal fat during weight loss. So this is another study where we get the question a lot, like, well, how fast is too fast? How fast? Mm-hmm. What what is good weight? Because with fasting. We see this consistency issue where people want to do extended fast to get the needle to move and they have sure. un, unrealistic expectations of what healthy mm-hmm. fat loss and weight loss should be. Yeah. So or this experience study, that initial like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm down five pounds in, I got the in whoosh. three days or something, you know? Yeah. And then, and then want or expect that to continue, which can be frustrating. So this study is looking at the evidence that visceral adipose tissue or VAT is more pathogenic than subcutaneous, right? So we know that. Mm-hmm. And what we want to see, what what they were studying is the percent decrease in visceral adiposity with different percentages of body body uh, weight loss. Excuse me, percent mm-hmm. body loss, percent body. What am I trying to say? Percent body weight loss. Yeah, thank you. That's yeah. what I was trying to say, but it sounded weird as it was. Okay, anyway, <laughs> so when we look at the conclusions of the study, preferential loss of VAT compared with SAT is greatest with modest weight loss. Mm-hmm. And the effect is attenuated and possibly lost completely when you increase the weight loss post that modest category. So very low carb diets inducing rapid weight loss in a short period of time produce the greatest preferential loss to visceral fat, but the effect is transient. So preferential loss of fat is reduced and perhaps negated altogether with greater weight loss and is not related to the method of weight loss. That's a mind bleep, right? Right. (laughs) So what does it mean? Rapid VAT loss with acute caloric restriction of very low-carb diets suggests that VAT 
has a physiological role to provide energy at times of acute mm. negative energy balance. And the sustained preferential loss of that with modest weight loss may add to our understanding of how modest weight loss appears to provide significant metabolic and long-term clinical aspects. So what I'm hearing here is we want to lose some weight and then guess what's going to happen? The dreaded what? pause. <laughs> the plateau? Oh, don't say oh, it. Man. Oh, you no. said it. Oh, cringe. Don't say the word. Yeah. yeah. So three to four weeks is that is that rapid weight loss time. Mm. And guess what we see when people start fasting? They lose weight and then guess what happens? Usually in the first, you know, four to six weeks. Sure. Yeah. Maybe a month. They hit so. the pause. Sure. Can get a little tougher. You know, you don't have this this direct feedback, especially if you're looking for the scale, you know? So I, you know, I, I definitely feel like understanding that is is really good perspective. You know, on this, this had to do with this particular application also looked at very low calorie diets, which we see being mimicked in our fasting too. And so the cool thing here was that, you know, applying it, applying fasting, applying better plates over those first few weeks will move the needle as far as visceral adiposity. And that's a really cool thing, but also understanding when and where the plateau can kind of kick in is good to know too, because I feel like being aware before you get smacked by something that's going to be a demotivator can be can be very helpful can give you like a little bit more resilience in those moments of toughness and the time frame we're looking at here you know is when we're looking at the very low calorie diet that you mentioned was exceptional in the short term for vat it was like you know less than four weeks but as we got out to the 12 and 14 week timeline it was pretty much lost mm. with the effect on visceral adiposity so when we just talked about the exercise example, and right, and you, you're exercising and you're seeing visceral alposity come down, but you're not seeing the scale change. This is why we say often with this same concept that you're going to have visceral alposity decrease quickly for four weeks, right? But then as, if you continue on that same thing that got you, using the same fasting schedules and the same food choices that got you there, mm -hmm. then by the time you get to three or four months out, you're probably losing, the, you've lost the effect according to the study. So this is why we say that you should vary your fasting windows and making sure that you are not over fasting and under consuming for too long periods of time. Yeah, good point. I like this one line in here too. It said free fatty acid excretion from excess visceral adiposity tissue is insensitive to insulin and highly sensitive to stress signals in obese Ooh, people. Look at you connecting right? the dots to the third the third article here. Right, right. But you know, like we hear about that sometimes too. Hey, I've been fasting and some things are, are kind of off on my blood work. That can happen. Well, you know, as we start burning through some of the fat, especially some of the visceral fat, we're releasing fatty acids. So there can be some disturbances that happen right there. But understanding that that those free fatty acids that are coming out are insensitive to insulin and they're part of the driver of insulin resistance. And then the fact that now we're also dulling our stress signals or creating like a hyper stress response to get the same cortisol response that the body needs during times of stress because mm -hmm. of the excess weight right. means stress is a component here. And oftentimes we, we hear stress talked about like, we need to decrease stress. We're in a stressful, you know, time during, you know, during life and technology and, you know, all these signals and, and notifications and things like that. But understanding that the fat can mess with our stress response means 
it's another big reason why we got to get some of the fat off. Like we have to bring this down. Even if I, hey, I thought I was at my maintenance weight. Well, if my fat percentage is too high, especially if my visceral fat percentage is too high, then I still have some work to do. I have some body composition work to do, even if the scale, you know, tricked me into thinking that I was kind of done here. Or I'm at a good, you know, maintenance point. And that's where one of the things, so very low carb, very low calorie diets versus the low fat diet, episode 38. You know, we saw, you know, a low carb, higher fat diet, keto type diet versus a low fat diet in older adults, five times more fat loss, including three X more visceral fat loss, all while maintaining greater muscle mass. So we're talking about food choices, right? Driving this. We're talking about stress driving it. So we we want to go through these periods of ebbs and flows. So if you've hit a point where the you know, you're exercising, you're, you're doing the fasting, the scale's not moving well, maybe your visceral adiposity is changing. And by what we see here that we've talked about today, it is. But then you're, that effect is lost by the three-month mark. So it's mm-hmm. time to reassess and re-strategize, right? So this is where Absolutely. the time-restricted eating without low carb, because we say fasting can apply to any lifestyle, can reduce visceral fat and improves metabolic syndrome. And this was the study that we talked about in episode 155. Mm-hmm. What we haven't talked about before, Tommy, is what you were just mentioning, is this, the fact that your stress response feeds the visceral adiposity machine. And, or if you weren't stressed and you put some weight on and you've got some visceral fat, let's say due to fructose and poor food choices and you know doing what I did and doing what you did, trying to hack the equation to, you know, Right. (laughs) Shop to lose the grams per day, pounds per week, and lose that metabolic flexibility. This undersleeping, over undersleeping, over exercising, right? So the visceral adiposity mimics your stress response and vice versa. So now you're gonna have more cravings, right? You're gonna Mm -hmm. be more tired, you're gonna be putting more stress on that HPA axis. And the HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And this is really just think of it as your stress response system. Sure. Right. So this one article shows that visceral adipocytes, the potential to increase the cortisol clearance and may facilitate to help stress management. On the other hand, visceral fat per se is also a contributor of the stress, which indicates that visceral fat accumulation represents a non-optimal physiological adaptation to stress. So it's like, which came first, chicken or the egg? Right. (laughs) Well, how do we get off the crazy roller coaster? We got to manage your stress. You start moving the needle. Right. So we got, we should be exercising. Choose the exercise of your choice. We should be fasting. Choose your favorite fasting window. Go listen to episode 155, right? Go listen to episode 38 if you want to do the keto thing. We recommend doing keto in cycles. We recommend changing your fasting windows. We recommend managing your stress. And it's not, you know, Tommy, how did you, how did you explain this when we were prepping for, for the episode? You said if we look at stress in a certain way, it can be kind of damning and kind of paint us into a corner, right? Yeah. 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 The advice, the recommendation that I hear oftentimes is find ways to control your stress. You know, like, first of all, what, what does that really mean? Most of us are victims, quote unquote, of like a chronic stress response. I got days. three kids, man, under seven. <laughs> How many dogs? <laughs> three, a horse. Yeah. Right. You got all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that's just kind of like pinging your stress response all day long, yeah. right? Traffic, huh. just day to day stuff. Right. It was a hundred, you know, a hundred and something degrees for like 60 straight days. I know all first world problems. We got our dining room floors bubbling up. Got to (laughs) submit an insurance claim because apparently we have a leak somewhere. Oh, man. I don't know. We had a $400 water bill because the pool apparently had a leak. I know all first world problems. They're still problems. Right. Right. They they still induce a A stress stress response. response. Especially when you're not sleeping. The tiger stress 
that we've, you know, all but kind of overcome or compartmentalized, you know, adapted to right. doesn't exist on like a moment to moment basis for most of us, you know, who are, you know, podcasting or listening to a podcast, right? Like I, I don't right. see tigers in the wild right now. But if but that did, notification <laughs> on my phone that just dinged. Yeah, but that one doesn't go away. You know, it's not like I outran the tiger or I died from the tiger. I know. So I, know. Either I way, asked you to I asked you to unpack this point. <laughs> I keep I'm just like over here telling too many personal stories. Okay, right. land the plane. So here. okay, so if we're just told like, hey, control your stress response, that's not re it's kind of an impossibility. And then and it feels like I'm chasing my tail around. Like, how am I gonna move the needle by controlling my stress response? I can't really just change all these factors in my life. The current situation. And, yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of meditation, it might go a long way, but it doesn't feel like it's really gonna move the needle or, or, you know, burn some extra visceral fat, although it might. But if I think about it more like the fat that I'm carrying, especially around my midsection and especially around my internal organs is producing a worse stress response because it's mimicking the HPA axis, the cortisol response from my body that I need and that I'm going to produce anyway. It's pushing that. It's, it's elevating it. It's escalating it to a point to where a lot of the signals are muted or even blocked. And so if I can move the needle on some of the fat, especially the visceral fat, I'm going to make improvements on my stress response. I'm yes. going to feel less of the stress response. I'm going to feel less of the cravings that are caused by that stress response. And then I'm going to get better sleep and I, I have a better balance going on, which is part of why you have these better health outcomes as well. So the reason to move the needle for the fat is for a better stress response rather than just feeling like I, oh, I, I got to fix my stress. stress yeah. Yeah. Let me download an app. Right. Right. I got yeah, another sleep help. timer. I got another meditation yeah. app. Like, like those things are good. Yes. But yes. Of yeah. Course. But that's for me, kind of, it's cold plunges. Oh uh, yeah. I love it. I'm just, plunge. I'm a better human being when I cold me plunge. Too. Like yeah. my wife's like, you've been plunging again. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. How can you tell? She's like, cause you're just a better husband and father and you're just better. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, thanks honey. That's right? your self-care. Yeah. Right. That's a part of my self-care. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of an aggressive self-care, but, um, <laughs> you know, doing really hard things that are never get easier. But yes, yeah, so that's a really, so not just, oh, go fix your stress, but let's get the weight off. Let's decrease the visceral adiposity and, and then we move the needle. So you're not painted into a corner. You will have a better stress response. That reminds me of these two conflicting articles that we have in terms of HPA access leading to the stress response, leading to visceral adiposity. The study that we just cited actually looked at blood cortisol levels right? To see the relationship, yeah. even though it is cyclical, right? And then they talked about leptin and sub Q and all this other stuff. This other article that we found was chronic stress burden, visceral adiposity tissue, and visceral adipose tissue and adiposity related inflammation and related to heart disease as well. But they looked at stress levels and said, yeah, visceral adipose tissue doesn't really seem to come from or be driven by a chronic stress burden. Mm. But they used a survey. <laughs> I'm like, hey, how okay, how stressed are you? Nah, I'm good, man. I'm great. I'm okay. You know, if, yeah, if you ask me versus, you know, in a clinical setting versus you, like, we're prone to be like, oh, I'm good. How are you? Right. That whole like, yeah, oh, have a yeah, nice. Yeah. Hey, thank you, sir. Have a nice flight. Oh, you too. Oh, wait, right. that's the lady behind the counter or the guy yeah. behind the counter who checked my bag. Like, right. why did I do that? I wasn't even thinking. So I just because that juxtaposition exists, right? Yeah, it's out there like, OK, well, wh where's the conflicting information? OK, well, in my head, it's like, all right, I'm stressed. I need to fix the stress. Well, let's get to the underlying cause. Let's put some time-restricted windows in. Let's leverage the time-restricted eating data that's out there, right? That shows mm -hmm. that if we just shrink our window, if we go all the way back to January 17th, we did an episode where we talked about the 10-hour versus the six-hour, mm -hmm. right? If you just shrink your window and you vary that window, then you're going to be able to move the needle 
in the underlying visceral adiposity category. Yeah. Right. So there's a few things you can do. We talked about moving the exercises, talked about going to get your VAI number using the calculator. We're going to want to move the needle and anticipate that we're going to see body composition changes and know what the scale is going to do. We're going to want to decrease our OSE intake, our fructose specifically intake, mm. right? Because that hijacks our system and causes and, and forces us into storing more visceral adiposity. And we're going to want to get to the underlying cause of our stress, not necessarily be able to change the season we're in, but change the physiology that underlines our response to it. Wow. It reminds me that if you ask 100 people, like, you know, rate your stress response, but you, you see this like bell curve, but the majority of people will just say like on a scale of one to five, they'll just say a three. You know, it's like, well, it's yeah. just a normal day. It's just a three. You know, so when you try to it's correlate- It's like scale of one to 10, you can't say seven. Right. Oh, crap. Yeah. Am I six seven or an eight? Like am I closer it's to a 10 the, or am I- No, you can't answer. say seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we kind of tend to just like put it in the middle, you know? So it, it's, it's very difficult to, to correlate visceral fat with your actual stress without, without measuring, you know, what's going on in the body. So, you know, when we talk about shrinking windows, what we get to start doing is we start to get to tap into the physiology of fasting, which, so what we do is we're actually going to keep the blood sugar a bit lower than what it, than where it's been. And then insulin actually has time to drop down as well. So not only are we tapping into fat stores because of this, you know, hypocaloric, this calorie deficit, and then we can add in some consistent exercise with it too. But what we get to see is like, is an actual flattening of that area under the curve for our blood sugar, which is going to have a, a beneficial effect on basically everything. And yeah, you know, like you just mentioned cold plunges. I remember when, when I was actually taking my glucose, my, my ketones and, and at one point we're wearing a CGM continuous glucose monitor and actually doing the cold plunge, I got to see the acute, like the tiger spike, you know, in the blood sugar and actually see what that looked like. And then how it came down like very, very quickly. And that was very different from the rest of the day. And, uh, so it, that just reminded me of it because every time I, I jump in there, it's like, man, yeah, you feel the stress, although you feel like this alleviation of it too, which is in direct contrast to like the phone notifications that you mentioned. You know, that's a huge part. And I forgot to mention the CGM earlier, but mm -hmm. specifically with cold plunging, I've been able to see the immediate response. So we talk yeah. about not being able to see or get a DEXA scan. We don't have a DEXA scan in our house. Yeah, or like so, a real right? time. What's my yeah, visceral real time. So, right now? Yeah, you're not going to get a DEXA scan every month, right? Three months, six months, maybe. Maybe you can even get your blood work. You're not going to run your blood work every 30 days, right? right? First of all, a lot of doctors aren't going to order that or know how to interpret the tests that we recommend anyway. Yeah. So that's a huge part that I had completely forgotten about. But that, the CGM, and I just came off wearing it for six months. Mm -hmm. As we wrap up another conversation on visceral fat, we've got some takeaways. You can head to the show notes. You can go to the Fasting for Life community group here on Facebook. You can click the link for the NutriSense. You can click the link for the VAI calculator to find out your visceral adiposity. A mental takeaway, because we just gave a few action steps, right? In terms mm -hmm. of physical action, but a mental takeaway to wrap up today's episode. Yeah. Mental takeaway would be do a couple of things that increase your consistency starting today. Okay. So what I mean by that is I know it's, it's easy to kind of get in the feeling of I need a longer fast to move the needle. Like, ah, oh, man, I got a few more pounds or maybe I'm, I'm trying to get my visceral Ooh, That was a rough down. weekend. I'll do a 48. Sure. Yeah. Or a 72, you know, and, and it's like, that doesn't lead to consistency. You know, uh, what leads to consistency is, you know, making one or two better food choices, you know, today and tomorrow and, and next weekend. And, and then also 
having having some sort of default where I go, you know what, what does my fasting lifestyle look like? Well, maybe it looks like a 20 hour fast every day or almost every day, right? Or or at least like maybe an 18 hour fast every day with a with a six hour or maybe a four hour nutrition window. And maybe I can I can make that a little bit earlier so I don't get tempted into some of those late night, you know, temptations. And then maybe if you're a late night exerciser like I used to be, that could be tempting too, where the later I, I stayed up and the more calories I, I took in later in the day, I would be tempted to do some cardio at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Like that was, that was leading to- That's you funny. Know, to, I was never tempted to do that, but I used to go to the gym late. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would do that too, especially if like the goal was, okay, I'm going to get up a little early and go, but if that doesn't work out, then I'll go, you know, in the evening time after The work. day will get away from me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the day typically does, but you know, progress over perfection for sure. So just increasing your ability to, to be a little bit more consistent, show up so a little bit more consistently, even if the scale's not just flying down, you got a few more pounds, or maybe it's a bunch more pounds, but getting a few steps right and being able to apply those consistently is going to move the needle much, much better. And like we talked about with CGM and, and, and the calculator and, and all these things, we're looking for decreases in some of the peaks the peak cortisol, the peak insulin, the peak blood sugar, looking at decreases in some of those peaks so that we can have a long-term you know, increase in, in health span, longevity, and quality of life as well as we decrease the visceral adiposity and insulin resistance. Yeah. And adapt that fasting lifestyle. We want to be yeah. intuitive about this. We don't always want to have to be stressed and making decisions. Like We want this to be an intuitive thing, right? Yeah. And that just creates long-term sustainability. So what I just heard there in terms of a mental takeaway is Make a short-term decision with the long-term strategic goal in mind. Mm. Make a short-term decision, take an action that's not based on the emotion in the moment or the feeling, right? But that's going to move you towards your long-term goal or your long-term destination. So mm. think strategic, act strategic for long-term rather than that short-term gain of pleasure that you might get or that happy hormone hit that you might mm, get the dopamine so yeah the dopamine so staying consistent and that is literally what has made keeping the weight off once and for all being able to finally move the needle and move the labs and feel better and mm -hmm. sleep better and just be more healthy than i've ever been where i was definitely trending just like you were in the opposite direction as we were entering our you know, mid thirties to early forties, we want to encourage you that you can do it too. So head to the show notes, click the link, the VII calculators in there, all the links for the re reference articles are there. You can also grab the blueprint to fasting for fat loss You can get the NutriSense code, the fasting for life community. Come join us, stick with us. Appreciate your conversation as always, Tommy. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.